our series, Words from the Mountain, and from talking to you guys after sermons, I get the privilege, after the sermons, of hearing how God is impacting you, or throughout the week, you'll text me and you'll tell me what God is doing, and it's, it's really great to hear. And so here's something that I've noticed. So some of you guys are very practical people, and some of you are abstract people. And the, those of you who are very practical, the sermons that you're liking especially have been these last month and a half because Jesus is getting really practical with us. And if you're an abstract person, the sermons, especially when we were in the Beatitudes, you were just like soaking it up. And I'm trying to be both for, for you guys because I know, I know you guys and some of you are like, oh, the practical stuff, oh, the abstract stuff. And here's, here's the thing. Here's the problem if you're one or the other. Jesus gets very abstract at times. And you're like, I don't know, I don't have a clue what this guy is saying. And there's other times where he's very practical, where he's like, look, this is just, this is just the way that you should live. And he's doing it on purpose. And we're in our series, Words from the Mountain, and what he's doing is he's taking us up to the mountain and down to the bottom, and up and down. So we're looking at the practical, we're looking at the abstract. Now, if you're only one, here's what happens to you. If you're, if, you're, if, you're not prac- if you're not abstract at all and you're just practical, you miss the wonder of who he is. You miss the beauty of who he is. But if you're not practical, then you miss how that beauty changes your everyday life. Everyday, ordinary life, his love, his joy, his peace, it's inhabiting your everyday, ordinary life, and you miss it. And so the, to be a Christian is to learn to listen to Jesus in such a way where you're listening and you're learning how to be abstract with him and you're also learning how to be practical with him. And today, he gets really practical. So practical and tells us something that's so practical that we would say, "Uh, you know what, I'd rather just go back being abstract because at least I could say I had no idea what you said and then I'd have an excuse for why I'm not living that way. So today... Today, Jesus is saying, if you get it, if you get what it means to really be a Christian, there's going to be an extraordinary oddity to you. In other words, there's something unique, but it's beautifully unique. It's, it's not weird, but it, maybe it's a little weird, but it's a beautifully weird thing that you're doing. And it's unique to Christianity, and it's unique to the commands of Christianity. And here's what it is. The extraordinary oddity about you, if you're a Christian, is that you love your enemies. You love them. The most practical, the fullest practical expression of what it means to be a Christian is to love your enemies. Let me, let me take you to our verses. Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more do you, are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. All right, three things today. We're going to look at the challenge to love, 
the execution of love and the motivation in love. So the challenge to love, the execution of love and the motivation in love. So first, the challenge to love. The Christian is walking around. If you're a Christian, this is what you're walking around and you're walking around with something inside of you, a love that's inside of you that can cut through any barrier, even the barrier between an enemy to an enemy. The challenge, because, because remember, when we take a big picture look at all this that Jesus is saying here in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is after bringing peace on the earth. And he's specifically telling us how we are meant to do it. And what he is challenging every Christian with is to love your enemy. This is unique to Christianity. And that's at the core of what it means. The most practical expression of the heights of Christianity is for you to love your enemy. And now, if, when I was reading those verses, if you were listening closely, you might think that Jesus is saying, in order for God to accept you, if you want God to accept you, what you do is you have to love your enemies. And if you don't love your enemies, then God's not going to accept you. And if you, if you heard that, you're reading it wrong. But look, it says it right here. Look, verse 45 Love your enemies so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. And then verse 48 says, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, these verses should trouble you. Because we know we're not loving our enemies like we should. Well, here's the thing. Let me give you some relief. We just saw in the Beatitudes that you are 100% accepted by God by your faith and your faith alone in Christ. And here's what happens. That faith that you have in Christ wells up with a love inside of you, and it's a love that breaks through the barriers even that you have towards your enemy, and love cuts through. So, and look at this, verse 48. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, the other thing is about this, be perfect. This is, actually, this is future. It's a future tense, so it should be read, you will be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. In other words, here's what's happening to you. You're a Christian, you're becoming perfect, but you're not yet perfect, but there is a version of you that is perfect, and each and every single day, you're becoming more of that version of yourself, which means every single day, you should be able to love your enemy more than you were able to yesterday and the day before that. All right, so all that was a bit complicated, so let me just summarize it very clearly for you. It talks about being sons of God. This is sons and daughters. You're a child of God, okay? And when you become a child of God, you now have the Spirit of God living within you. And the Spirit of God in you craves to love. So now, as the Spirit of God is in you craving to love, you seek to love others. But guess what? You're not doing it. God just gave you this command to love your enemies, and you're not doing it. And so what do you do? As a child of God, where's, you, where's the place for you to go? You go right to God, and you say, God, I'm failing at this, and I need your help. And look what's just happened. You've come into the presence of God. So this promise that you are a son of God is actually coming more true as you are trying to obey him because you are going into the presence of God, and you go into the presence of God, and as you go in, guess what starts happening? His presence begins to strengthen you. His glory is strengthening you. And as His glory is strengthening you, guess what happens? His love is just 
bouncing around all inside of you and it's coursing through your veins and now it starts pouring out to the people around you, even your enemies. And so the challenge is there and actually the challenge drives you to God because you realize you can't do it without him. And look, now you're in his presence. So picture it like this. You're standing before your enemy and you want to love him and you're failing at it. So you go to God and he gives you what you need to do it. God never expected you to be able to obey him without him. And yet we try to do it all the time. You need him badly to live the way that he's calling you to live. And you see the way he calls you to live and you're like, God, I've got this. And you go off on this journey without him. And and the whole time you're meant to take him with you. Now, here's the next question. There's this line that says, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, here's the, Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament, but is he quoting from the Old Testament? Here's the question. Does the Old Testament say to hate your enemy? And the answer is no. There's no direct quote where the Old Testament says hate your enemy. And you got to realize what's going on here is that the religious leaders at this time, they're trying to say very clearly what the Bible's saying, and they're trying to compact it, and they're missing it. They're missing what God wants. Now, I will say this. There are very clearly some verses in the Old Testament that look like God wants us to hate our enemies. There's quotes where, where David in the Psalms is saying things like, look like hatred. In fact, he says this word, hate. There's a few things going on. First, we talked about this last week. Remember, the kingdom of God, it's moving forward. So people will say history repeats itself. And it's just not true. Because the kingdom of God is moving and is active. And so history might repeat itself, but it does it like this. It's moving in a direction forward towards the kingdom's end, its telos and its goal. So that means this. You might see some setbacks But God's kingdom is coming. And so in the Old Testament, you saw this pouring out of God's kingdom, but not the way that it has come when the king comes. So there's a greater manifestation of God's love today than there was in the Old Testament because his kingdom has come more. And here's the other thing that I think is going on, and nobody really talks about this. So when the Israelites and God were kind of like doing this, which was pretty often for the Israelites, you see that God's not happy about it. He has some hatred, in a way, about the way that they're living. He loves his people, but he's hating the way that they're acting. And so they're standing there, and they're experiencing life not as it's meant to be because of what they're doing. But then here's what, something happens every time. God raises up a mediator. An intermediary, someone to stand between God's people and God and to pray on behalf of God's people. And when that happens, God then gets involved, forgives his people, gets involved, and brings about redemption. Now, here's what I think is going on. Well, before I get there, let me say this. God's, the Israelites' enemies, they never had a mediator. They didn't even know they needed one. But my guess is that when we hear these stories of God's people just coming down and attacking these other groups of people, those other people needed a mediator. They needed someone to stand in between. They needed someone to stand for them. 
So, Jesus says, love your enemy. What's he saying? Be that intermediary. Be the mediator between people. Now, look, this is talking about people who are persecuting you, so likely this text is talking about enemies, but not just enemies of you, enemies who are people who are enemies of God. And so, you're standing as a mediator between them and God, and that's how you love them. And, well, yeah, God wants to change the world through Christians loving their enemies, bringing peace that way. Now, I want you to imagine two armies, their enemies, and they are facing off against each other, and the battle's about to start. And they're lined up on the field, and, you know, this is way back in the day, so just picture, there's no guns, it's just swords. And they're about to do battle, but then someone walks out into the middle and meets with the people. Now, now, let's say that's you. You're the one that's going to do that. And you're on the side that's about to win because you're way outnumbering those people. So you go out on the battlefield and you go and you meet with the leader of, those, of that army that you are against. And you meet with them and you negotiate a peace. That's what's going on here. Loving your enemy, crossing over to the other side. Now, all right, let's just be honest and let's start getting practical here. You're likely not loving your enemy like you ought to be. Now, okay, so you're becoming perfect. So cut yourself a little bit of slack here. You're not yet perfect. You're becoming perfect. However, Jesus is pushing in on you. Love everyone around you and even your enemy. And, and look at the challenge here. He talks about the tax collectors. Now, you don't know about the tax collectors. Let me tell you about the tax collectors. So back then, here's what would happen. A tax collector would come, and the person would owe a certain amount for their taxes. But the tax collector, they would say the amount was higher than it actually was. They'd pocket that money. Tax collectors had tons of money back in this day. So no one liked tax collectors. But look what it says. Even tax collectors love their friends. Even tax collectors love their family. So what good is it that you, you're calling yourself a Christian, but you can't even love people who are outside of your friends and your family? So Jesus is pressing in. You need to be able to love enemies, your enemies because that's what it means to be a Christian. The challenge is this. Take the risk. Go across to the other side of the battlefield and love who's ever on the other side. You want to teach your kids how to bring peace on the earth? Show them you loving your enemy and teaching them to love their enemy. Some kids messed with them that day. We'll teach them how to love them. Now what you want to do as a parent, you want to go, you want to go fight that kid's parents. I know you do. It's, it, instead, go and love them. Let's see, it starts getting a little harder when you start making it really practical. Your coworker that's driving you crazy, love them. Holidays are coming. Your family that drives you crazy, love them. The, the person that you can think of right now that's kind of like your nemesis, love them. And you know what? Perhaps what you're doing is you're making enemies out of people that aren't actually even your enemies. 
We do this all the time. We always make, I don't know if you know this, but you typically will make yourself the hero of the story and everybody else is the villain. Whoever is against you, that's the villain. You're the hero of the story or you're the victim. But someone else is the villain and you vilify them. And this is saying, they might not actually even be your enemy, but whatever you think of them, it doesn't matter. Go love them. All right. So how do we execute this? How do we execute this love for others, for not just others, but our enemies? So to execute love is to act as an intermediary or this mediator. Now, what exactly is a mediator? It's in our verse. Someone who prays for someone else. So Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, this is, this, he's saying the same thing twice. This happens in Proverbs. Proverbs will have one line and then underneath it another line that's saying the same thing in a different way. So what Jesus is saying is, love your enemies. How do you love them? By praying for them. He's getting very practical with you. How do you love your enemies? You pray for them. And this is genius, by the way. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but when you begin to pray for someone, God makes your heart tender towards them. He moves you towards them. He makes your heart kind of take a step for them, towards them, and you're more for them. This is This is a way of melting away your hatred when you go before God, because look at what's happening. First, you're going to God, and so God is teaching you how to love your enemy, but also God is showing you what's going on inside your heart and why you're having such a hard time doing this. And as that's happening, God's also softening your heart towards that other person, and then you're beginning to love them more and more and more every time you go and you pray for them. There's something about praying for people that makes it hard for you to hate them. To keep the anger towards them. So, for, for, so I'll always do this in, in premarital counseling. I always tell people, when you're married, every single night before you go to bed, pray together. Because here's what happens. If you're angry at your spouse and then you go to pray with them, It's really hard not to forgive them when you're coming before God because you start to realize, man, I need forgiveness. If I need forgiveness, I should very easily be able to forgive my spouse. If you're saying to yourself, I don't think I can do this, your first step is to pray for them. Now, you got to take small steps. So there's this book called Atomic Habits. And the premise is you've got to take small steps. So, for example, if you want to start going to the gym, here's the thing to do. For a week, drive to the gym. Don't even walk in. Just drive there. Drive there, park the car, and then leave for seven days. The next week, get out of your car, walk into the gym, hang out in the gym. Don't even work out, but just hang out for seven days. And then go home. Look, that was super easy. And then the third week, you start working out a little bit. Maybe you do five minutes and you're like, oh man, that's horrible. I'm going to stop right now. And then you do this again. And as you continue to do this, you'll start working out more and you'll start enjoying it actually. You've created a habit. You continue that habit. You took small steps. It's the same thing when you're praying for your enemies. You don't want to do it. And I'm not talking about people who were enemies a long time ago. I'm talking about when it's fresh. You don't want to do it. 
And Jesus is saying, but you must. And so what do you do? You start small, and what do you do? You go to God, and you say, God, I don't even want to do this. Maybe you just have a little, maybe you find a little chair, and you're like, this is my prayer chair. You just go and sit there, and don't even pray yet. And then you start saying, okay, God, I don't want to do this. I do not want to pray for my enemy right now. And that, you just tell him that. And then the next day or the next week, you, you give it a try. And you're moving into it further, and then you start seeing, why can't I do this, God? Why, what is this so hard for me? And he begins to reveal to you why you're having such a hard time praying for your enemy. It's a whole bunch of stuff going inside your heart. He starts working on it. Start small. Or let's think of it this way. Republicans and Democrats, can you pray for someone who believes differently than you? I mean, that's not even your enemy. I mean, you might think of it as your enemy. It feels like that. It feels like that when I look at Facebook, when I look at the way that people talk about the other side. I mean, wow, these people really hate each other. Maybe just pray for them. Pray for the president. Whatever side he's on, whatever side you're on, or she, if that happens, I'm just saying you need to start praying for anybody. Um, Think of the person right now that you hate the most. You got it? Oh, I know you hate someone now. You got to pray for that person. And Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you. I mean, that's what this text is really about, praying for people. You're seeking for people to come to faith, and they hate you for it, and you pray for them. And many of you are saying something right now, or maybe you haven't even thought of it yet. You're thinking, man, pray for my enemy. I'm having a hard enough time remembering or even thinking about praying for my family, for my friends, for myself even. So praying for my enemy sounds way too far away from me right now. See, there's our problem. I mean, we're in a prayerless Christianity, especially in America. Our, our vision for 2020 is going to be the word and prayer. We're going to talk about it as much as we can. The word and prayer, God's word and prayer, the Bible prayer, the Bible prayer, and how when you get into the Bible, it drives you right into prayer with God because you're seeing how he's calling you to live, and you say, I can't do it. What do you do? You go to prayer. Do you ever wonder why there's so little power in our Christianity? I mean, our Christian, like our Christianity, not Christianity, but our Christianity. You look at the Bible, you look at the book of Acts, and you look at the way that God was doing these amazing works. I mean, I know it's just at the time when God's doing his thing, but still, still, why is there so little power? Because there's so little prayer. It's the loss. I mean, do you know what the disciples do before the book of Acts begins? Do you know what the disciples are doing? They're waiting for God in prayer. They're waiting for God to give them the gift of his Holy Spirit. They're waiting in prayer. They're waiting. I mean, this is the lost art of waiting for God in prayer. You know there's Bible verses that say, strength will rise in you as you wait on God. You're waiting. And you feel like, where are you, God? Just keep praying. Strength will rise in you. It's a promise. So it's, a, it's an act of faith to believe it's true. I mean, and that's really it. We do have a faith problem in our prayer, prayers. We have a faith problem, a prayer problem, and it's destroying us. It's destroying you. 
You are meant for God to be with him. And prayer is your way to him. But we're not going. And we're wondering why we're so unhappy. We're wondering why there's so little joy in our life. We're wondering why there's so little peace. The Bible does not say that God will give you happiness and peace and joy. The Bible says that God is your peace and your joy. Let me say it this way, to be very clear, potentially offensive. Your prayer life sucks, and it's ruining you. You're starving yourself. God is the food, and you're starving yourself because you're not going to him, and it's really foolish. But we, we just, it's what we do. You know, we're, we, we do this. We, we struggle through life without prayer, and then every once in a while we're like, okay, I'm going to pray, and we kind of lift up our fist at God, and we're shaking our fist at God in anger. We're also shaking our other fist at our enemies, and what God wants you to do is to stop, stop shaking your fist, maybe bring them together like this, and just start praying to God and for your enemy. All right, so then the question is, why is, why is it that we have such a hard time doing this? We need motivation in prayer. We need motivation in love. We need to be motivated to do this. So how? What's our motivation? Because you need God's help. But here's what you got to stop doing. You got to stop making God your enemy. This is the story of humanity. The story of humanity is this long, terrible story of humanity trying to find something other than God that will make them happy, that will give them joy, that will give them peace. That's what we're doing. We're searching everywhere for something other than God. And here's why we're searching other, something other than God. Because we hate him. Because he says, I am king and I am Lord. This is the story from the beginning. You realize this, right? The story of Adam and Eve and the fall and the apple. Like there's something very major going on. And here's what's going on. God, I want outside of your rule. Stop trying to take control of my life. Stop trying to tell me what to do. I want the throne. And he's not giving it to us and so we hate him for it. And we do everything we can to do opposite of what he tells us to do so that we could get free from underneath his rule. And we think it's better for us, but it's worse for us. But all we think to do is that and so we become enemies with God. We stand out on the battlefield. Us on one side, God on the other. What do we need? Well, what did your enemy need? A mediator. You know, there's a similar story to this in the Bible. It's a story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah is a story of uh, this city that hates God. They want God out. They don't want to be under his rule and his reign, and so they've made themselves out to be an enemy with God. And there's a guy, Abraham, who's living at the time in the city, Sodom and Gomorrah. And so God says, Abraham, get out of there. I'm about to destroy the city. And Abraham has kind of the same reaction that we do, like, oh, really? Come on, God. And so Abraham says, God, what if there's 50 righteous people in this city? Will you save the city? And he says, yeah. And Abraham says, all right, I did it. And so God comes back to Abraham. Abraham, mm, there's not 50. Okay, what about 45, God? Sure, God says. 
but there's not 45. And this kind of continues all the way down to 10, and there's not even 10 righteous in the city. Now, what Abraham should have done is go all the way down to one, because God still, still would have said, sure, if there is one righteous, I will no longer make Sodom and Gomorrah out to be my enemies. And this is the story of Christianity. We are Sodom and Gomorrah. And Christ is the one righteous who comes to stand for us as our mediator. We're standing out on the battlefield. Us against God, and then all of a sudden we see a figure, the greatest of the army, walk out, and he walks all the way across to our world, to our side in this battle. And he begins to embrace every single person. Embracing them as if they're the only one in the world, it feels like. And, and you're like, what's happening right now? How is my enemy doing this to me? And then all of a sudden you realize what's going on and you embrace him back and you realize this was what it takes to be brought back. To be a son or daughter of God again. No longer an enemy. And so you embrace him back, and then he says in your ear, there's something that I've come to do, and it must be done. I have to die in your place, because there, there is a punishment that has to come to God's enemies, and so I'm going to take that for you, because that's how much I love you. I'm going to do it. Here, listen to this, Romans 5.10. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. You know, as we're killing Jesus, as humanity's killing Jesus, do you know what he says? He prays, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He's being a mediator. And guess what happens now? We go from being enemies to sons and daughters of God because of Christ, his death and resurrection. And now it doesn't end there. It doesn't end with the resurrection. Do you know what Christ is doing right now? He's ascended to the Father. Do you know what he's doing there at the right hand of the Father? He's mediating. He's being an intermediary. He's talking to the Father, saying, him, her, I am his, I am hers, and she is mine, and he is mine. He's saying that we're in, we're no longer enemies, but we're part of the family of God because he became our mediator. And if you will get a picture of that, in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. It's going to wipe away all the hatred that you have for people because you realize you were once an enemy of God, but now you're a child of God. And so you will begin to look at your enemies differently. And you'll start seeing them how God saw you when you were his enemy and what he did to win you back. And when you see it, you will love even your enemy. I promise you, you'll see it. When you see it, you will. Okay, let's pray. God, we pray now that we would stop being an enemy to you and we would stop seeing you as our enemy. That we would stop trying to get under, out from under your rule and your reign and your glory and we would stop trying to steal your kingdom but to let your kingdom come. God, do not 
let us keep fighting against you, but win us over by your grace. Show us a grace that's absolutely irresistible so we have no choice but to move forward towards you. And God, I pray that the love that you have for us that made us turn from enemies to sons and daughters, that that love would win us over. And God, I pray if there's anybody here who is hearing this for the first time or has never heard this before, I pray that you would move them towards you. You would take them and you would embrace them and hug them and continue to hug them until they hug you back. And God, I pray that we would now be your children who love as you've loved us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.